Hey everyone and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, I'm going to be reviewing and going over the Water 7 saga, which includes the Long Ring Longland, the David Back Fight, Water 7, Ineos Lobby, and the Post Ineos Lobby arcs all together. So yeah, like I do with every other major arc or saga, we'll just briefly talk about the entire sort of saga and what my thoughts are. First off, like I've mentioned many times in the past, this saga, even to this day, is still my favorite in the entire series. It does everything so well. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's damn near close to it, and I think it's probably the closest One Piece will ever get to perfect. Starting off, one obvious improvement of this arc, and it has nothing to do with the storytelling per se, but it does help to enhance the experience, was the jump to HD and widescreen format. This makes the anime feel even more cinematic and beautiful, which is perfect because the settings of these arcs are all so gorgeous. The use of unique colors and time of day, you know, it's done incredibly really well too. I don't know why I said incredibly really well, but uh, but yeah, from the bright gorgeous daytime of Water 7 in Ennius Lobby to the dark and night uh, atmospheres of the fiery hellscape during the burning of the Galila Company, all of it is incredible. And obviously my personal favorite though is the use of the golden hour for the first time, especially during Usopp and Luffy's verbal fight. And not to mention the Water 7 and Ennius Lobby are some of the most well-realized and gorgeous islands that we've yet to arrive at. And so that paired up with the enhancement of the visuals was like the perfect timing because Water 7 is so incredible. And yeah, let's talk about the islands themselves. So Water 7 is an instant classic right off the bat with its sort of Venice, Italy inspirations, while also using that as a springboard to create a fully fleshed out culture and world with how the town was built, with how you know it was based on tourism and shipbuilding industries, driving its economy based on the Puffing Tom and the Galileo Company. Then you have things themed around water and the fact that water plays such an integral part of it in its architecture with the waterways and canals, as well as the fact that a lot of their daily life revolves around the annual threat of the Aqua Laguna. And similarly with Ennius Lobby, the way it's designed is perfect as it gives off this sort of serene and beautiful appearance, but deep down it's a place of evil and dread for anyone that enters it, which is an incredible dynamic that captures the essence of the world government itself, which also portrays itself as this sort of righteous beacon of goodness, but in reality it's a very corrupt and an evil organization underneath and the fact that every part of any lobby has a specific purpose and isn't there to just look pretty you know for example the the huge waterfall pit in the center while it is visually striking for the world government it creates a natural fortress and defense that keeps attackers out and the criminals in while also being an intimidation tool to any would-be criminal all right so now that we got some of the surface level stuff out of the way let's dive into the story and overall themes of this arc which were incredible to be honest i mean first off this arc focused on not one not two not three not even four but five straw hat members this saga was so expansive and large that it expanded upon and explored five straw hat members those being luffy usopp robin frankie and the going mary and first off, the Luffy and Usopp dynamic was a huge shock to the story. Their conflict and individual journeys took the series in a direction and tone that no one saw coming, especially not me. And it took it for the better. You know, it took the series and our characters to a pretty dark and serious place, 
really giving them the, a feeling that these are real people or real characters. And, you know, like up till now, it always seemed like these characters were just that characters in a story that were larger than life. But when we see them beat down like this saga does and the way they're written really starts to give you the feeling of kind of sort of that realism, that especially with the realistic dialogue that Oda gives them, you start to see that even these superhuman happy-go-lucky people are real people with flaws and insecurities. And nothing showcases this more than Luffy and Usopp, although both Robin and Frankie have this to a lesser extent as well. You know, for example, how Luffy is explored with his captain abilities being tested during this entire saga from the very beginning with the David back fight, as well as their encounter with Aokiji, Usopp leaving the crew, Luffy developing gear second in order to become strong enough to protect and save Robin and the rest of his crew, as well as finally learning the true weight and responsibility that it takes to be a ship captain. Luffy has grown quite a bit in just this one saga alone, which is one criticism I've never understood that people give about One Piece is how Luffy is a boring character who never develops. It's like, are we watching or reading the same story? And the crazy thing is, Luffy isn't even close to being done as this character thread will persist throughout the entire series. And this is only the beginning. We've only really laid the seeds out for Luffy's eventual journey and growth. And, and I can't wait to talk about it because this is, a, this is a persistent story thread that basically carries throughout the entire series but culminates pretty largely in, in several more arcs. Next, I love how this saga turns Usopp from comic relief you know, to badass with an actual character. To me, Usopp has been a great character up till now anyways, but this saga elevates him to a height where I think even his biggest critics can't deny how cool Usopp is. His character arc in this saga is closely intertwined with Mary, and in that Mary basically is an outward representation of Usopp's fears and insecurities about his abilities and his place on the crew. I really liked how Oda does not shy away from taking this to a very dark place without making it over the top. And in fact, quite the opposite, he made it so genuine and real with his dialogue that it catches you off guard and kind of scares you a little bit. Both the verbal altercation and the physical duel were both incredibly visceral and brutal to watch or read because of how realistic their dialogue was. In addition, it really hits upon a core relatable experience of the human condition of feeling unworthy and not good enough. Usopp seeing how there's so quick to move on from the Mary after it has become unable to sail, equates it to eventually that this is how he'll be treated and this fear of abandonment starts to overtake him, which is a classic avoidant attachment behavior. And he tries to preemptively sabotage the relationship to avoid the threat of being abandoned, which is something I'm sure many of us can actually relate to on a very core level. You know, those of us who don't have a secure attachment style like myself. <laughs> However, despite all that, uh, he still puts his Nakama first and returns to help them when they need need him the most. And he finally realizes with the help of Sanji and Zoro, he sees his true value that he's always had. It's just now he finally sees that himself. And again, that is a theme we can all relate to in that we all have something special to bring to the world. Even if, if it's not quite as obvious to us like super strength or incredible capabilities. And yeah, we have something we can always bring to the table. 
Moving on to Robin and Frankie, as both of their arcs are very similar in themes, I'll talk about them kind of together. The biggest one being the theme of merely existing with the potential for danger is not a crime, as well as to a lesser extent, sort of the atonement and pa for past mistakes. Now, I thoroughly enjoyed the expo exploration of both these characters in this saga. Not only did we get a character flashback for one, but we also got a second straw hat flashback which is a very unique thing to this arc and both were absolutely heartbreaking but robin's by far takes the cake her past not only is emotional and heartbreaking but it adds so much to the lore and world of one piece as it essentially introduces a central global conflict that the rest of the story pretty much revolves around the world government and their pursuit in wiping away what happened in the void century that is a major story thread that basically follows throughout the entire series, and it starts here. This was incredibly interesting, and that leads me into the other thing that Water 7 does so well, world building and expansion. This saga blows up the world of One Piece to a massive global scale that we've never seen before. We see how interconnected the islands and their economies are, and how all-powerful and overreaching the world government is. And as we just mentioned, a rich, expansive history that has been wiped away for mysterious reasons in the Void Century. Not to mention all the little added things like the more lore on the Devil Fruits, as well as pirate ships, Black Ops agents like the CP9. I mean, there's so many things that's added to the World of One Piece that play a major role for the rest of the story going forward. And I personally just love how big the world felt after this. It's not just about the Strong Hats and their adventures. There's a bunch of other people and their agendas going on around all of them. Just in this arc, we learn of the New World, the Yonko, the World Government, and their oppressive mission of suppressing information about the Void Century. Even more dissent and differing philosophies among the Marines as well with Aokiji. Not to mention everything happening with Blackbeard in the shadows, literally. Uh, it's all exciting stuff. And yeah, I just love how, you know, we can we could follow any one of these story threads without the Straw Hats involvement and it'd be just as interesting, I feel like. I mean, particularly anything revolving around the Void Century or Blackbeard, to be honest. To sort of round out this review, let's talk about the villains and the action in this saga. While I really liked Luchi, Spandam, and the CP9, I think this was probably the weakest aspect of the saga, if you could even call it a weakness since it was still stellar. But if I had to pick something, it would be the villains. As great as these guys were, I think the fact that Luchi was more so of an obstacle than an actual villain kind of hurt sort of the emotional core of this story. Most of the emotional connection between the heroes and villains was actually the conflict between Robin and Spandam, and that's where much of the emotional weight was placed. However, obviously, even though most of the emotional core and conflict was between them, they themselves really didn't have so much of a battle either physically or even philosophically as Robin was mostly just a prisoner, unable to do anything, and Spandam was just a spineless idiot. So while it felt good when Sp Spandam got his comeuppance when Robin was finally freed, it just didn't carry the same weight you would like it to compared to some of the other villains. I guess to put it simply, it felt somewhat anticlimactic in that regard. However, Lucci, on the other hand was very formidable as a villain, but because he didn't really have any emotional connection to Robin or Luffy, 
it didn't have that same emotional weight that, say, when defeating Arlong or Crocodile had. Don't get me wrong, when Luffy unleashed Gomu Gomu no Jet Gatling on him, that was one of the most awesome things ever. But on a thematic and emotional level, it wasn't quite there since Luchi was effectively a tool for Spandam and really didn't harbor that sort of connection with Luffy and Robin. As like I said, he was more of an obstacle to overcome than someone who had a deep vested interest with Luffy and Robin. Similarly, we didn't even meet half the CP9 until the very end, which didn't help in terms of setting up interesting rivalries. But that being said, they were all super entertaining and fun characters, which is why I don't necessarily mind nor really consider this a weakness, but this is probably the the weakest aspect. And the final battles were all very interesting and unique, with many of the Straw Hats and CP9 showing off a lot of new abilities. Of course, the biggest new reveal was Luffy's two new techniques with Gear 2nd and Gear 3rd. Like I've mentioned, I absolutely love Gear 2nd from the way it was introduced to how it looks. It just seemed like the perfect evolution for Luffy's power set. Gear 3rd, like I've mentioned, I'm a little less a fan of, but I still see how they're... It's interesting how they're the opposite spectrum and offer a counterbalance to one another, with one being a speed boost and the other being a strength boost. Of course, there were a lot of other interesting powers and mechanics introduced here between Chopper's Monster Point, Nami's Perfect Climb Attack, Usopp's Kabuto Slingshot, Sanji's Diablo Jambe, and Zoro's Nine Sword Style Ashura. Everyone got a major upgrade in fighting skills in this saga, which was great to see. And they were tested very well and comedically, I might add, by the CP9's unique Rokushiki martial arts styles of fighting instead of just relying solely on devil fruits up till now. Outside of maybe Mr. Two who combined his sort of Okama Kempo with his Devil Fruit. But yeah, having the Devil Fruits being paired with sort of these superhuman fighting abilities to make for some incredibly dangerous foes had some of the coolest fights in the series up till this point. Kind of in closing, like I said, this saga is incredible and does so much right. At the end of the day, the thing that stands out about this story is how it really tests our Straw Hats for the first time. Not from a physical standpoint, but from internally, their bonds as a crew and Nakama. When things are not going right for them and the crew is compromised, how do they respond? And how resilient are they when the challenge isn't an external one, but from an internal one? And I just love how the saga explores that and puts them on their back foot almost the entire time. And it really makes for some suspenseful, emotional, and exciting stories. Not to mention... And I haven't really, really talked about this, but all the great stuff this saga does well, like the expansion of the lore, world building, but most of all, it gave us some of the greatest moments of the entire series. I mean, these moments are basically just seared in my head in terms of some of the best moments in this entire series between the reveal of Gear 2nd, the Gomu Gomu no Jet Gatling uh, to finish off Luchi, Usopp saving Robin from the tower... Usopp versus Luffy, both the verbal and physical altercations, the Mary coming just in time to save everyone in NES Lobby, as well as Mary's funeral. And then, of course, <laughs> the cream of the crop, the entire showdown at the Tower of Law, and the I want to live moment from Robin. I, I, I mean, it's just so incredible, not to mention the, the awesome flashbacks for both Robin and the history of Ohara, as well as with Frankie and, and the history of Water 7 and the Puffing Tom. Like, both flashbacks are incredible as well. I mean, these moments are some of the all-time classics. 
that the rest of the story is kind of built upon. I mean, you when you go back and look at Water 7, it, it's incredible how important and how many more global story threads this saga actually sets up. And it, it's kind of amazing to think how these early, whether it be Water 7, Skypea, uh, uh, Arabasta, and East Blue, they all keep building on things and set, thing, set things up for the future. And it's it's crazy how Oda always keeps going back to that sort of well and really expanding on little things that he just introduces earlier on. It's, yeah, it's really fun to go back and rewatch these. Anyways, yeah, awesome arc. Awesome saga. So good. So yeah, next episode we'll be getting into the Ice Hunter filler arc, which spans 10 episodes, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, check that out if you're interested. If you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. If you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes or see pictures of my manga collection. And also, I've started to stream via Twitch, so if you want to come chat or play, watch me play games, be happy to see you at twitch.tv slash sunny double underscore go. So that's sunny two underscores G-O. As always, I wanted to thank you for taking out the time to listen to my podcast. Stay safe out there, and I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye. <laughs>